Ladies and gentlemen, you are tuned into another episode of the Paul Leslie Hour. And now your host, Paul Leslie. Hey, it's me. Hello and welcome, my friend. Good to be with you. How are things? What's new? So this comes from my Buffett source, and a lot of you already know about it. But Jimmy Buffett's new album, Life on the Flip Side, has been a runaway success. I wrote an article about it, a, a review, which you can read it at thepaulleslie.com. It's been making quite a splash itself. But here's the news. Life on the Flip Side, which came out on Mailboat Records, debuted as the number two album on the Billboard Top 200. It is the number one country album, the number one Americana folk album, and the number one independent album. That's impressive, but Jimmy Buffett also announced he is going to be making his Grand Ole Opry debut on June 27, 2020. He's going to be with Mac McAnally, his longtime friend and musical collaborator, as well as country star Brad Paisley. I thought, well, that's really interesting. The Grand Ole Opry, if you're interested, will be broadcast live on Circle, and you just go to circleplus.com. It's also going to live stream on Circle All Access, Facebook, and YouTube channels. I'll be curious to hear what you all think about it. When I read about this, I thought, Jimmy Buffett, brand new country star. Are you familiar with that song? It's a Buffett song from way back. This interview that I'm about to play for you was heard on FM radio back about three years ago, maybe four. Austin Church, who was born Vernon Arnold, is a singer-songwriter. He's released four albums. He's a concert performer and formerly a radio personality. He co-wrote Jimmy Buffett's song, Brand New Country Star, that I had just mentioned, which appeared on the album Livin' and Dyin' in Three-Quarter Time. Austin Church's songs have been recorded by Lyle Lovett and Del Reeves. We talked about doing some kind of show where he would come in the studio at some point and maybe perform. That might still happen, who knows? But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this interview. It was a great success. Let me know what you think. Ladies and gentlemen, our special guest is a singer-songwriter. Austin Church has released four albums of songs, as well as having songs he co-wrote, recorded by artists like Lyle Lovett, Jimmy Buffett, and Del Reeves. So we'd like to welcome recording artist and concert performer Austin Church. It's a great pleasure. Oh, the pleasure is mine, Paul. Well, it's good to have you here, but I think most stories are best from the beginning. Yeah. Where were you born? I was born in the nutmeg state of Connecticut, Hartford to be specific. And did you grow up in Connecticut? Not really. My father was in the service in the Air Guard at that time, in the uh, Army Air Corps at that time, Air National Guard, whatever they call it. So we moved around a lot. You know, shortly thereafter, we moved up uh, into a rural area of Connecticut called Rainbow, which I love that. Want to write a song called Living in Rainbow, man. What could be more, uh, you know, sublime than that? And anyway, so then we, we moved to Suffolk County Air Base, uh, New York, and then uh, tooled around through the Panama Canal to Japan when I was seven. And they're eight, nine, and nine years old, back to the States, 
to Alabama, Montgomery, Alabama. Lived there for quite a few years, and then it was on to Ohio, and then over to Wiesbaden, Germany, and then back to Washington, D.C. at the Pentagon. And then I just I went to school in North Carolina and got interested in country music and Bob Dylan and all that stuff and transferred to the University of Georgia, had the bands there, and then went up to Nashville, Tennessee. So that's been the odyssey. And the thing is that as far as a hometown, I would pick Montgomery, Alabama, because I was there about 10 years of my development, developmental years. That's it in a nutshell right there. <laughs> And so Austin Church is actually a stage name, correct? Absolutely, yes. In 1972, I needed a showbiz name. I was getting into it in Athens, Georgia. WDOL Radio, spinning the country platters. And so I came up with Austin Church. But if they'd had computers in those days, I would have been Vernon Mars. And that is because the computer slipped from the library issued out and it chopped off some of the name as they will do and it listed me as vernon mars which is of course short for marshall Hmm. or a chop off of marshall my middle name and i really really like it and i kind of kind of use it for artwork occasionally nowadays Uh, just a whimsy type of thing but i love that vernon mars and that's what i would have been if we'd had computers and I uh, had that occurrence, but I didn't think of it. So I'm very happy with Austin Church. I think I came up with a good one, and it's, it's, it's done me well all these years. Who would you attribute your love of music? Was there an artist? Was it a person? What does it trace back to? It's kind of a crazy thing, but one of my all-time favorite singers is Marilyn Monroe. Really? Of course, she's known as the sex symbol and a great actress and uh, just the thing in the 50s when I was growing up. But if you recall, she also had quite a few songs in her movies. And I always thought she had a, a way of expressing a lyric. Judy Garland could obviously knock your socks off and Whitney Houston and, and Bonnie Raitt. And these are all and my favorites, too. But something about Marilyn Monroe just really hit home to me. And so I I, I think I learned a lot about singing and emoting from Marilyn. I just, of course, I was a huge fan. So, and then getting back to reality, (laughs) Bob Dylan, Hank Williams, Jimmy Rogers, and Johnny Cash would have to be the the primary uh, singing influences. So you're heavily influenced by country music. Yeah, with a great dose of Bob Dylan in there. Bob Dylan, when he came out with, I started in college in Brevard, North Carolina, and at that time he had the Freewheeling album out, and man, uh, there was something about that, you know, and and then he came up with the one that he had a big hit radio hit on from uh, Highway 61, Revisited. I was just huge. It's kind of a dichotomy, I guess, but Bob Dylan and and, uh, Ernest Tubb, there's a a divergence for you. So, you know, yeah, country, uh, folk, rhythm and blues, early Carl Perkins, huge Carl Perkins, you know. It's a kind of a mix, quite a, quite a mix of artists. We're talking with singer-songwriter Austin Church. Ernest Tubb you just mentioned a moment ago, and he uh, had a, a part in your story. 
Yes, indeed. Tell us about that. Well, I first heard of Ernest Tubb on a rock and roll station in uh, the District of Columbia, riding around in, in Arlington, Virginia. And Barry Richem Up Richards was on the air. So I don't know how in the world Ernest Tubb entered the mix of between Chuck Berry and uh, Little Richard, but he did in conversation or something. Or maybe he was appearing in the area. Or so, but I heard the name, and I said, man, what a, what a cool name, Ernest Tubb. Who is that guy? So then years later, I found out that he was a primary architect of what we know as country music pretty much gave it the name country. It had been called Hillbilly and Folk before then. And he said, let's just call it country music. And so Ernest Tubb was a huge, huge man in, in country music. And I just kind of just gravitated to him, loved his style. He always encouraged other singers like Loretta Lynn and Patsy Cline. And I said, man, this cat, he speaks to me, what he's about. So I studied him and kind of tried to sing songs, sing his songs, and eventually got a, a role in a, in a uh, Nashville production at the Texas Troubadour Theater near Opryland in 1996, where I, I paid a tribute for a year to the great Texas Troubadour. So it was uh, me and Ernest, we, we had quite a connection there. It's interesting. You went to the University of Georgia, and I have to confess I was a student also at the University of Georgia, so I was hoping you could tell us your recollections of the town, Athens, Georgia. Well, you know, musically, one of my primary landmarks was Maudine's Dining Room, not related to Paula Dean, name spelled different. My Maudine spelled D-E-A-N, and she ran a boarding house up on Lumpkin Street, cross, kind of on Fraternity Row. So I was at Russell Hall, which was a huge high-rise dorm for kids there. And somehow word got out, hey, man, we got to go to Maldines, man. Get that country-style cooking. Oh, yeah. So I, I found my way to Maldines. And it was the first time I experienced the meat and three, you know, a big bowl of limas and pintos and collards and all that. And with uh, one meat and all the vegetables you could eat, it was a dollar a meal. A dollar ten by the meal, but if you got a twenty-four punch meal card, you, you got it for a dollar a meal. And man, so that was that was big, big stuff. And then I wrote the song Maudine's, walking down the road toward Maudine. She was the best country cooking queen. Loaded up my plate with butter beans, Maudine. You're my gal. And then, uh, so let's see what else. I remember the bell that they rang after victorious uh, football games. And, of course, uh, the Lamar Dodd School of Art was my headquarters because I, I was in the uh, program for Bachelor of Fine Arts. And I just, you know, I just I just loved it. Music and art, you know, it was just so. And there we go. Now you're getting off campus. Somebody said, hey, you know, Ray Whitley singing down at the last resort. Mad Dog Melton. I said, what the heck is that? I got to check it out. So that shaped my life uh, big time when I got to the last resort in Athens, Georgia, just a stone's throw from the campus of UGA. Man, I found my bailiwick, and there was Jimmy Buffett, Towns Van Zandt, Gamble Rogers, Doc Watson. I said, oh, I have found it. So the last resort, Athens, Georgia, UGA, big time. 
now if someone goes to the last resort, it's just a restaurant. But in the day, it was a, also a music venue. Oh, my gosh. Was it ever? I mean, it started out, it was Ralph's Garage <laughs> when it started. And I believe it was Kurt Smith and Mad Dog Melton bought the thing and, um, you know, ran folk acts, you know, people with acoustic guitars and uh, in this shotgun building type thing there. Gene Scoggins, I believe, uh, took it over. Anyway, they had, you know, my my buddy Towns Van Zandt in there picking and Jimmy Buffett. I, co-wrote a song, Brand New Country Star, with Jimmy when he was in there singing. And Mad Dog Melton would get out there with his Nashville Skyline-style J200 Gibson guitar. And then, a few years later, they bought the other part of Ralph's garage. And so they kind of had a a double-wide club in there and enough room for bands, you know, big bands. And then when I put a band together in 77... I went in there as a band, and, and they had the Dixie Dregs in there, David Allen Coe, all kinds of great Randall Bramlett band, all kinds of great rock and roll and country rock in there. It was just, for years, it, it was huge. It was very influential and a chance for the bands in Athens to show what they were made of and develop a following. It was just, last resort, I just can't say enough about it. I wanted to ask you about the song Brand New Country Star. You co-wrote that song with Jimmy Buffett. Do you recall the experience of writing with him? Yes, I do. I, I, I recall it in, in, uh, in detail and in clarity. Larkin Thompson owned the place at the time, and she and Jimmy kind of, you know, were, uh, you know, friends. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, uh, and and I was I I uh, took a liking to a folk singer that was sharing the bill with Jimmy down there named Elizabeth Corrigan, a great folk singer. So the uh, four of us, the two couples, that we 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 repaired to Larkin Thompson's apartment and had dinner. And then when we were starting to, to eat, I said to Jimmy, I said, "Man, look at you know Ernest Tubb, Bill Anderson, all these acts and these." Uh, these trailways, uh, buses, man, think about all the cheeseburgers those guys eat. I mean, how do they, how do they handle that for so many years? He immediately said, right after I said that, he said, he outgrew his sequin suit and sold his trailways bus. And then we had dinner. I mean, that, that was it. That, that, and then we ate a nice dinner and we repaired to Jimmy and I went into the living room, me and Jimmy and a jug of beam, B E A M beam whiskey. And sat it on the hassock there. Jimmy grabbed his Martin guitar. I grabbed a pad and started writing like mad. You know, there it was, the, the brand new country star. And, you know, we put all the, you know, I first had a, a Plymouth satellite, rode around in a Plymouth satellite, and Jimmy changed it to a Lincoln Continental, which is more fitting for a brand new country star. And so there we go. We wrote the song that night. Jimmy was such a high power, energetic guy, and still is that he went into the resort club that night and sang the song, or attempted to, but he bogged down because he didn't have the words. <laughs> and ironically, I walked in right at that time of his little stumble and handed it. I'm not going to let go of a song I've written with Jimmy Buffett, so I had the words, and I handed it to him, and he finished the song, and that's the story. <laughs> note for note, that's it. 
<laughs> what are your recollections of his personality in that time? What what kind of guy was he? Upbeat, smiling, carefree. He just exuded, I guess, what you would call the laid-back Key West mindset. It was just, and it was just such a pleasure there. You know, like they say in the islands down in uh, in the Virgin Islands, no problems, man, no problems. Well, that was Jimmy Buffett, no problems, man. You know, it, it just it was a flow about his style, his performing, his life, uh, the fun, smiling, strumming guitars, and uh, just loving life, living large. That's what that's that's my impressions of Jimmy. As mentioned at the top of the interview. There have been a few artists that have recorded your songs in addition to Buffett, the great Lyle Lovett, and also the late Del Reeves. Right. Who has done the best job, in your opinion, of something that you wrote? Wow. Uh, boy, that's a toughie. That's a toughie. I guess I'd have to say Jimmy, you know, you know, because uh, he just... He, he slammed that baby uh, out of the park, hit it with a fat part of the bat. It's an album cut. I don't know if he does it on the shows, but Don Gant was producing in Nashville, Tennessee, and they just got it right. The whole album, it was the album that uh, Come Monday was on. That busted him out as a star. In fact, he'd had that out. So he was just he was just breaking the, the envelope of stardom at the time I met him and wrote that song with on the heels of Come Monday in that 73, 74 time frame. And, and this great guy named Don Gant, who was also a great singer, and uh, produced that. And they just got the right pickers in there. They got the right mindset. And they just created a beautiful album. Pencil Thin Mustache was on there. All kinds of great songs. And so I was just thrilled to have mine included in that mix and it was just it was a great great session and it holds up today so i guess i'd have to to go with uh, jimmy's version of brand new country star what was the song that the late del reeves recorded that you wrote he recorded a song that i i wrote with joe collins who at the time was the keyboard player for tom t hall and joe and i wrote a song called i'll take my chances about you know living living the way you want to live with all the sugar and coffee and booze and rolling the dice and sort of turning a nose at the doctor and but I'll take my chances and, and Dell uh, Dell did a beautiful job because he was just that kind of guy I mean not that he lived that way but that he could put an upbeat take on on lyrics like that he was he was just uh, so. Yeah, that was it. I'll take my chances. Del Reeves. And tell us about the song that you co-wrote that was recorded by Lyle Lovett. Well, that was bittersweet because in 1990, uh, let's see, I guess it was about 93 or 4 in that time frame. I was down in Franklin. I was on the radio and, you know, I was in the mix of a bunch of oldies. So, the sales manager, he started calling me the Sheikha Shaboom. And I loved it. So then I went on and, and created other names behind that. The, the Raja of Rock and Roll, the Sultan of Soul, the Baron of the Blues, and so forth. And I thought about all these things. And then there was a writing session set up for 
the great uh, Walter Hyatt, who was in Walter uh, Uncle Walt's band with David Ball and the Champ Hood, and they had a great following. And then Walter went off as a single act. And uh, so he did a lot of writing with my friend Ken Spooner, who was also known for a song he wrote with Kim Williams called If the Devil Danced in Empty Pockets, He'd Have a Ball in Mine. So anyway, Ken Spooner and Walter Hyatt were writing, and he tuned into the airwaves right before their writing session, and he said, man, Walter, I got a title. It's called The Sheik of Shaboom. So Walter loved it, and they got a, a, a nice jazzy uh, riff behind it and put her, put her together, and, and I found myself included in the little writing party there, in the little writing uh, uh, session. There, there it was. Uh, but I say tra- sadly because Walter lost his life in 1996 in that tragic uh, value jet crash in the Everglades. I don't know if you remember that, but I do a little, yeah. Yeah, it was uh, so. You know, he was he was really just on the crest of of, of, of busting out. Uh, he had a, a band called King Tears Band, and he was performing at the Sutler in Nashville. 12th and Porter, all kinds of places. And he was getting the just desserts that he'd long worked for. And so, and he had a beautiful family, his wife and a couple kids. And it was just, wow. But anyway, he was a great friend and mentor to Lyle Lovett. So Lyle, they had a, they had a celebration of life for Walter shortly after he passed away. And one of the performers was Lyle Lovett on there. And Shelby Lynn actually sang the song Sheikah Shaboom at the Celebration of Life. But Lyle liked it so much that he recorded it twice, once in Nashville, once in Hollywood. Now, he, to date, he hasn't released it, but I'm, I'm hoping he will. But he's got two beautiful cuts. In fact, it was hard for me to decide between his version of that song and Jimmy Buffett's song that I mentioned, because it is a beautiful cut with a trumpet and a swing, a jazz fiddle and all kinds of stuff. So it was Walter's band, Uncle Walt band out of Austin, Texas. They were originally from South Carolina, but they really get a great following in Austin, Texas. At that time, Lyle would sit at their feet and enjoy their music and, and look up to them. And they would, they would let him come on during their intermissions and play some songs. And so uh, from then on, he, he, he just revered Walter Hyatt and what he was about in his music. So I think in a great part, he recorded that song as a tribute to Walter. And then Champ Hood's son from that same day, his son has been doing the song, too. He's got a really great folk uh, country swing band. So that's the story of, of the, of the Sheikah Shaboon and Lyle's connection to it. You're listening to our interview with singer-songwriter Austin Church. Do you have a song that is most meaningful to you that you've written? Oh, well, I, you know, right off the top, I'm going to have to say Miss Ola, the Mississippi Giver, because in 1999, I was looking at the transition section of Newsweek, and there was this picture of a, of a, of a lady, humble-looking woman, big eyes, a... Uh, subliminal smile it said that she was a washerwoman philanthropist and that's an interesting juxtaposition of words and it turns out that she started washing clothes in 1920 
and went all the way to 95, some 75 years of washing clothes. And she amassed $250,000 in that time and gave most of it to the University of Southern Mississippi in Hattiesburg, her hometown. So I said, this speaks to me. This sings to me. This lady, this humble, obscure washerwoman giving all this. She was an only child and, and she never married and she never had a chance to go to college. But she said, I want somebody's child to get an education. So she set up, she gave all this money to uh, USM, turned it into a great scholarship program. It was just Miss Miss Oler, the Mississippi giver, a humble washerwoman. And that song, there's a video I have on it produced by Ralph Clementi, late Ralph Clementi out of uh, Valencia Film School, Valencia Community College in Orlando. And so it really, it's it, probably the most meaningful to date. It's just incredible. Miss Ola, the Mississippi giver. What makes you happiest? Wow. When I am fulfilling the talent that God gave me, my mother and father through the whole journey of, of the arts consistently said, son, we just want you to be happy. When it all comes together, when I'm in a concert and the people are smiling and and you can tell there's a connection, they're responding to what you're doing, that hour, hour and a half on stage, I am happy. It's wonderful. So I'm so thankful to be able to be doing it. What is the best thing about being Austin Church? Ah, <laughs> The best thing about being Austin Church, wow, sharing smiles with people you never met. There's just some reflex action. I just, it just seems to be a natural thing for me to, to write songs that kind of pick people up a little bit. At least I hope so. Now, I do write some blues and some sad things, but... A lot of my songs have a, a distinct message of hope in them. And when that comes across, wow, that's a trip. And I say, well, I guess this is what the church man does. So that's what I like most about being Austin Church. One of the wonderful things about broadcasting is the fact that you can reach people. So in this interview, I just kind of wanted to give you an open-ended question of what would you say to the audience? Anything at all? Well, one thing I would say is, especially to people that are wandering down and stumbling on, on the road of life, pick up a guitar instead of a gun. With a guitar, you can strum. With a gun, somebody's all done. Your whole idea of vengeance might come undone. If you pick up a guitar instead of a gun. And so, you know, I had that rolling around in my head for a long time. And I guess that's my message is to uh, let's get down and jam. We have a lot more in common than divergent ways of thinking and ideologies. The E note natural is the same in Chinese and it's the same in India and it's the same in Bermuda, and it's the same in Racine, Wisconsin. 
uh, D diminished and E flat, whatever. It's the human language. So um, that's my primary message. We've got to sing, pray, and communicate in the human language. All the listeners out there, they can check out the website. It's austinchurchmusic.com. My last question, who is Austin Church at heart? Wow, Austin Church at heart is kind of a, well, <laughs> a, kid that, uh, a kid that wants to, to do something, that, that wants to be, uh, well, a kid that wants to lift, lift folks at heart. I, I've got a song called Trust Your Drummer because your drum beat, that's your heartbeat. Your ticker, that's your kicker, and your kicker is your drummer. And you won't be torn asunder if you let it go and trust your drummer. So, you know, trust your heart. Yes, Austin Church is one who trusts his heart and never, ever wants to cheat on his own heart. Well, Mr. Church, thank you so much for sharing with us. Oh, man, I tell you what, you know, stories wouldn't be stories unless they were compiled, annotated, and chronicled. And I can't thank you enough for the storytellers for what you are doing, allowing people to tell their stories from the Lassau Caves right on down to Paul Leslie. It's so, so important that you have the passion to share stories. I, I thank you from the bottom of my heart, Paul. Oh, it is my pleasure. Well, Godspeed, my friend. Godspeed to you, Paul. All right, I hope we run into each other sometime. I hope so. Thank you for listening to the Paul Leslie Hour. Hosted, written, and produced by Paul Leslie. Intro theme song, Alexander's Ragtime Band, written by Irving Berlin, performed by Dan Barrett. Outro scanning G-Things, improvised, performed, and produced by John Goodwin. Until next time. Goodbye.